to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. How many of you glad that God is able in your life? How many has God done some stuff in, in your life and in your past that you are absolutely blown away by? By his goodness and by his mercy, he's kept you. Amen. I need a little bit more in the fall back for me. I can't hear myself. Amen, amen, amen. Happy New Year, everybody. Amen. How many of you glad to be in another year? That's what's up. That is what's up. And I am thankful and great to God that he's given us another opportunity to serve him in the land of the living. Just a few things before we dig in. Um, Solemn Assembly is this week. Um, Solemn Assembly is a unified time. We as a church take time to seek God as a church for ourselves personally, uh, but then also corporately and nationally and internationally in what God has called us to do. Um, you know, some specific things I'll talk about in the mess in the beginning of the message that we believe in God both for, but during the course of the week, I want you to, we're going to be giving our cards and in those cards, I don't just want you to know that we're fasting. I want you to know kind of the biblical framework. Somebody say framework, framework. the biblical framework for why we fast. Um, fasting <coughs> isn't a way for man to twist God's arm to give us what we want. But really fasting more so than anything is us getting aligned with God's will to give up legitimate needs of uh, the, f- the, the body and the flesh in order for a greater need for the soul and for the world. And so, um, and so that's why <clears throat> praying and fasting always go together. It's not merely uh, not eating. So, so, so what we do is because not eating, not eating, and, 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 uh, uh, eat, not eating and then not praying is just a hunger strike. <laughs> so we're not going on a hunger strike. Um, we're going on a deep pursuit of God. Somebody say pursue. How many of you want more of them this year than you had last year? <clears throat> How many of you need guidance in areas of your life this year? How many of you need direction? How many of you need breakthroughs? Let me hear. See, you, you don't sound like it. How many of you need breakthroughs? I'm going to try one more again. How many of you need breakthroughs? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, so in those different things in your life, fasting is really a way for you to quiet. Somebody say quiet. quiet. You, you, know, you know, sometimes my computer, when I'm working, all types of alerts and different things are going off when I'm working on something. But I have, I have a way that I can turn all of those things off so that I can focus on what I'm doing. Fasting is turning off all of the miscellaneous apps in your life so that you can say, I, I want to focus on this particular thing with God. And that's, that's what we want to do this week. So Monday, you'll be at home on your own. Um, and then on Tuesday, you'll get with other believers and clusters, whether it's your small group, whatever you're choosing. We don't really specify, per se. <clears throat> then from there, uh, on Wednesday, we'll be here. We'll worship, we'll pray, and we'll testify. Somebody say worship, worship. Pray, pray, and testify. testify. Amen, amen, amen. So worship, pray, testify. <clears throat> then last but not least, um, on, on, on Thursday, um, our final full day of fasting, we will, um, we will have the leaders here. And so leaders, you're here. You all are back to clusters uh, or individual, however you want to do Thursday. But just, again, uh, taking that time. And then Friday, 
uh, we are going to break the fast in the basement. And so that means you bring, you know, bring a dish. Now, that's if you can cook. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you can't cook, don't test on us. You know, there, there, there are subsidized ways you can be thanks to a potluck. You can go somewhere and, like, buy something and let somebody who know what they're doing do that, and you bring that. Amen. And so, and so let's go ahead and let's bring a dish. Uh, uh, and, and I'm excited about it. I have a uh, uh, Katrina shoot out an email, uh, let you know some of the things that we need. And you, you grab a hold of that. Are you excited about this week? Excited about this week? Amen. Well, <clears throat> open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Amen. One, two, three, it's up there. Read. <clears throat> yeah. That's shout-worthy right there. You ought to give him a little bit more praise than that. Yeah. Well, today we're starting a four-week series on generosity. And uh, I want to start this series off by talking about the generosity of God. The generosity of God. God, we thank you uh, of your flagrant throwing of yourself at us. God, we want to learn from that. We want to throw ourselves back at you the same way you threw yourself at us. And so, God, in order for our lives to reflect you, we need you. And, God, help us to get God-centered in our lives, God-focused, Christ-focused in our lives so that it affects even how we act. So, Lord, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. And let us be not just hearers of the word but effectual doers. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The generosity of God. As you know, um, four weeks ago, uh, we began a, a campaign, a, a campaign. And <clears throat> as we began that campaign, we began this campaign on purchasing a new facility. You know we're trying to get uh, the school down the street that's 133,000 square feet. Amen. Amen. Um, 
in order to purchase that facility, you know, we needed, um, we, we needed the, 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 we wanted to do the our due diligence on our end to be financially and fiscally prepared for such an opportunity. And so, as you know, our plan is to sell this facility, invest in that facility, and be debt free. However, in the beginning, prior to that, we need a down payment. Somebody say down payment. Amen. And so you know that the reason why we're buying this school is because we want to do a, another school in the community. Amen. 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 We, we, we also want to do daycare for single moms in the community. Amen. You know, we also want to do a grocery store because this is a food desert. Amen. <clears throat> you, you know that. You know that. You know, we also want to do business development in the community a literacy training, and um, I, I hope we can even do a beauty supply store. Amen. Black on. Black on. You understand what I'm saying? Um, amen. Amen, somebody. And so, so, so these are things that we want to do. So we needed 200K, and, and you guys have been very, very gracious, those of you who have been giving. We're up to $126,000 already in the last four weeks. That's very important. We, we, got some, we got some ways to go. Layla's working on some stuff for us, um, because, but we're trying to jump on this opportunity. Um, and some people are looking at us like, why in the world would you go further into North Philly? Why not? We're the church. We don't go where it's comfortable. We, we, we go where we're needed. <laughs> and we, we, look, we want to preach where the gospel hasn't been yet. And we're not saying there haven't been faithful churches there. We just want to be a part of what God has already been doing. Amen. So in light of that, I want to do a series on generosity because I want to upgrade our disposition towards giving. You know, one of the things that, you know, giving has become what it shouldn't become in the church, a circus. And, 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 and because it has become a circus for the leader to line his pockets so that they can buy Bentleys and and all different types of things and floss, <clears throat> that type of thing. I want you to begin to eradicate the false narrative of television and, 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 and parading nitwits who <clears throat> have utilized the pulpit to the pew to the parking lot to be a pimp. So you've been here long enough, and we, we didn't talk about giving when Epiphany first started because we knew that there was a lot of church hurt surrounding giving. Yeah. However, now, um, I, we're not in that season no more. Amen. Amen. <laughs> because, listen, um, I'm free. I just want to let y'all know that. Um, <clears throat> that's number one. Number two, by the way, it is, a, it is a, 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 a horrid use of pastoring if I don't help you to understand that your finances is also a part of your spiritual life. If you don't recognize that reality, so I, I will not bend my will anymore to church hurt in order to, to, to tether people away from what some people, so I found, you know, I found out everybody ain't got church hurt. They got overheard church hurt. So what people have done, like, like I was ministering to a friend of mine from college this week. <clears throat> I was ministering to a friend of mine from college this week. And a friend of mine, he hit me up and he was like, he was telling me all these issues. You know, I'm like, he called me out of nowhere. I'm like, you know I'm coming in for the kill on this gospel. You know, at some point, Jesus is coming up, you know. 
I'm just letting you know. So we, 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 we talking and I began ministering to him and even talking about church and all those. I know you've had issues with boom, 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 boom. Then he said, you know what, E? He said, to be honest, I was following cultural bandwagons about what people felt about the church. I actually have never been personally hurt by the church. And he said, a lot of people out here have never actually been personally hurt by the church. They're just jumping on the bandwagon because the enemy is using that as a mechanism to push people away from the place that's supposed to be the dispensing and the dispenser for them to be spiritually developed and matured and committed. And so, I, I, but, but I don't want to talk merely about your pockets today. I want to talk about your heart. Now, now we're going to use giving to, to, you know, for, for opportunities that we want to do in this community as we've already done. Uh, um, but I, I want to let you know that your giving isn't for us merely to, you're not giving to the community. I want you to get that. You're not giving to me. You're not even giving to one another. Giving first is Godward. Now, there's a reason why giving must be Godward first. Because it, trickle, it goes to God and it should trickle to other things. So, 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 so we come here to this beautiful passage. Uh, and Paul is really talking about God's generosity in this. I, I, I read this. I was like, I can't believe that we, we've always looked at it as the conquering passage, the triumphant passage. But one of the underlying main things, themes of the sex is God's generosity towards us. I'll show you in the text. First point. If you're going to know that God is generous, first thing you must recognize is our victories in life are rooted in God's generous love. Our victories in life are rooted in God's generous love towards us. Look at what the text says. It says, what then shall we say to these things? Somebody say these things. Now, some of you, now before you can understand what came after this, you have to understand what came before it. Now, when he says, what shall we say to these things? He's saying, what shall I say to respond to what God has said to us through Paul already? Okay, y'all looking at me funny, just like the first service. Let's go through some things. <coughs> number one, number one, number one, number one. Uh, what, what should we say to these things? What things? Everything from chapter one to chapter eight, verse 30. He's saying, you need to, have a response to all that I've said to you. Now, the first thing that he says in chapter 1, verse 15 is, I, I long to preach the gospel to you. Now, why would he say that to believers? It's because believers need the gospel too. <laughs> that means you don't just get saved for, for fire insurance from hell. You actually get saved so that not only you can be, go to heaven, but it's also for you to live right here. Yes. Then he said the gospel is the power of God under salvation <clears throat> to all who believe to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And so then we begin to see that the gospel is the, is the, uh, is the multivitamin pill of the omnipotence of God put in a message for us. Amen. When you swallow the gospel, you swallow God's power. Amen. You, you swallow his power. Amen. And, and so, so later in chapter, later in chapter one, though, he began telling us all from chapter one to chapter three. He began telling us how jacked up each human being is, including the pastor. Every single person in the church is tore up from the floor up. Let, let, let me just tell you, everybody in the world is a plum nitwit, a mess, right? And all of us, now, now, now you may not admit it because you think you all that, but you were born as cute as you are, as soft as your skin was, and as baby as your hair was, you were a cute sinner. 
<coughs> you were born a sinner. The Bible said, the Bible says that, 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 that men will try to create gods. It, 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 but, but then it said, it said there are certain people that when they can continue to reject God for so long, that they continue to reject him for so long that he give you what you want. Be very careful when God just say, you want sin? I'll give it to you. All right. But then in chapter two, he began to say, you, he knows some of the people going to get self-righteous because you know what happens when you say something wrong with somebody. Ain't nothing wrong with me. I'm a good person. You know, we start going off and everything. Right. So God said, I know you about to go off because I told you you were trifling. So let me tell you how trifling you are. You have a standard in your self-righteousness that you say you're going to keep. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take your standard, put you next to the standard that you have and show you that you didn't even keep what you believe. <laughs> Romans chapter 2, then Romans chapter 3, he just, tell, he just goes off and none have done good. All is an open grave. You know, on your best day, your righteousness as, as filthy, he just goes, just lighten us up. <laughs> then it says, just in case you missed it, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so it's like, I guess I'm guilty. That's what he wants you. He wants you right there. He wants you recognizing that you're guilty and there's nothing you can do to merit his favor. When you're there, he got you. He got you. He got you. Because when you get to that point and you recognize that unless there's an intervention on your life, you are a spiritual drug addict and you need an intervention. You need the family to surround you. Like, you ever intervene for a family? Like, we have you here for a reason. That's what God does in the gospel. When he's telling you where, he, where you are, he's giving you an intervention for your soul. But then in chapter 4, he begins to talk about faith and the nature of how faith works. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, he said, we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. He says, through the, through the first Adam, all fell into sin, but in the second Adam, all get life. And then he starts talking about grace so good that he knows what will happen. When you preach grace well, people think they can sin. So what he ends up saying is, shall I sin so that I can get more grace? He comes, to, my, 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 my Greek professor in seminary, this is the closest the Bible comes to cursing. It's meganita. I won't tell you what he said it. It can be translated as. But you can get the picture. He says, may it never be. He says, because grace should motivate you not to hate God and to do more mess, but it should actually motivate you to live for God. Then in chapter 6, he begins to go through the resurrected life and talking about what it means to live a resurrected life. And then he knows what's going to be in your mind then. Everybody's not perfect. And then Paul begins to give an analogy of him wrestling post-salvation with sin, even though he's saved and he's supposed to be living a resurrected life. But he doesn't always do what he's supposed to do. And what I want to do is the will to do it is there, but I can't do it. And he starts going through this struggle. And he said, I don't know. Just thank God for Jesus Christ. <laughs> is anybody with me today? Then in chapter 8, he calms the soul in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> then later in the chapter, he talks about the hardship and glory of the Christian life. I call the chapter, it's a good album, Pain and Glory. I can see the branding on the John, you know. <laughs> And John, that, that, that'd be a nice album time. But, 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 but he begins to talk about that and how all creation groans in pain for the revelation of the sons of God. And he says, sometimes you don't want to be here no more, so you groan. 
You ever, you ever just not want to be here no more and say, Maranatha, Jesus, today is a Maranatha. How many of you have a Maranatha day? A comeback now, Jesus day. Yeah, one of them like that. Jesus, just come, can you just come back? And you know, I got a lot of things I want to do here, but I would much rather stop going through the ups and just come on back. <laughs> and then at the end of the chapter, it says, Jesus is interceding for us. The Spirit is interceding for us. And then it talks about our glorification, and then we come here. Now you understand what he's saying. What shall we say to these things? <laughs> All that I just told you from chapter 1 to chapter 8, you should say something about that. <laughs> what he begins to say is he begins to lay out the proper response and disposition, but the empowerment that comes from being, having had been a mess. And the gospel making you no longer a mess, even though you still have mess, it still deals with your practical mess, but you're positionally perfect. What do you say to that? That's, that's what he says. And there we go. He says, if God is for us, who can be again? Did you know God was for you? Oh, my God. I know every day don't feel like that. But God, well, he's for you. He's, he wants the best for you. Even when you feel like your day is the worst, he wants the best. He, he wants the best for you. He's saying, he's saying God, the idea of God being for you is, is God being with you. It's that sense of, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's the way God was with Abraham. You know, stuff just happened because he walked in his call. And, you know, Ezra, talking about the Lord our God was with us. And they tried to come. Ne Nehemiah would say, and they tried something against me. But because God was, you ever had a because God was with you moment that something tried to happen with you? Somebody tried to do something to you? And it, and, and it, and it almost blindsided you. But if it had not been for God looking out for you and working things. See, sometimes God gives you, the, gives you the opportunity to see what could have happened to you. And then he'll snatch it at the last minute to say, oh, I'm for you. He said, I just want you to know where my bless your blessings come from. Amen. So, so he's for us. <laughs> On your best day, he's for you. On your worst day, he's for you. That's, that's good news. If I was down the street at Pentecostal International Assembly's Church of God in Jesus Christ, one of the mothers would have taken off their hat and went for false rents right there because, because, because the only people that can shout off knowing that God is for them is knowing all that's against them. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Verse 32, verse 32. Verse 32, look what it says in the text. It says, he did not even spare. Listen to how generous God is. Listen to how generous God is. God didn't spare his own son, but offered him up for all, how will he not also grant us everything? Look at the three words of generosity. <clears throat> Here, he did not spare, but offered him, granted us everything. You should underline spare, offered, and grant. You, you should underline all that because that shows us the level of generosity that God has. Now, 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 now right here in the text, it says, it says he didn't spare his own son. Now, let me, let me explain something to you. God didn't have to give you Jesus. Now, now let me see if I can make like, 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 like The idea of spared and offered meant that God gave Jesus without blinking an eye. Okay, let me see if I can make it plain. You ever had something that you really are attached to that someone just wanted to use? 
You have something in your life, you know, you know, I, I don't know if I'm gonna let them use it, because if I let them use it, they may tear my stuff up. Then, you know, they're friends, so I can't say what I wanna say and do what I wanna do, and I don't wanna sue them. But, you know, so I'm, I'm gonna, amen, y'all know what I'm talking about. And, and, and so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna spare it. Just because I want it. God could have spared Jesus. I just want him to remain with me. But God freely gave. Let me see if I can make a point. When I was little, when I was little, when I was little, you know, elementary, junior, high school, you get a bag of chips from the bodega corner store, whatever you call it. You know, you know, I give me a Chico stick, some, some, y'all don't know about that. Shut your mouth. Y'all don't know about that. I give me a Chico stick, some lemon heads, some, some Alexander the grapes. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Uh, and give me a couple fireballs, you understand what I'm saying? You know, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and get me a Mars bar. Y'all don't know nothing about that. And get, get one of them Hershey, Hershey fudge bars, you know, they cost 10. Y'all don't know nothing about that. See, y'all got quiet on that part. Get some penny candy, they don't do that no more. <laughs> and then I come out the corner store, have, you know what I'm saying? Got some sunflower seeds with some hot sauce in it. Coming out, you understand what I'm saying? I'm spinning. Then all of a sudden, somebody said, you know, and I see somebody and I open the joint up. Know what you used to do? We say, no greeds. I don't know if y'all remember that. That was a DC thing. We used to do that meaning. I just, I, I'm not sharing. That's what that means. So, it, but but if they ask for it before you say no greed, you got to give them some. It's kind of like the rule. <clears throat> but 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 God didn't do that with Jesus. <clears throat> God God freely and flagrantly gave Jesus Christ to you. Listen, the way the Bible, the Bible talks crazy about how God gives Jesus. After it talks about how bad his death would be in Isaiah 53, the text says he was pleased to crush him. God, God was not only, God, God, God didn't just want to give you Jesus. He didn't just not spare Jesus. He, listen, he enjoyed giving you Jesus. See, that's what generosity is. Generosity isn't just giving, it's enjoying it. You can't, you can't give something like, you know what I'm saying? Like giving is supposed to be. When God gave his son, he, he, he offered him like that. I, I love the way God offered him. But not only that, not only that he said that he grants us everything. Jesus Christ was the mechanism for you to get everything. Now, I know you're ready to name it, claim it, call it, harbor it, and grab it and snap it, right? You're ready to do that. But everything has a scope. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting. <laughs> um, God, God, when God gives you everything, he gives you everything based on what he believes everything is for what you need. In other words, it doesn't mean he literally gave us everything, that everything had a scope, okay? So, so, so when he gives us everything having a scope, meant there's a purpose, it's, 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 it's kind of like this, because you, you know, some of the things that God has given us, we don't like, okay? But, but, but you don't realize in having it, you're wealthy. You don't realize, I'm, I'm going to tell you something about it in a second, but you don't realize you're wealthy. You know, it's kind of like at Christian time when I was a little kid, you know, before I started liking clothes, I wanted the toys. So my parents would give clothes, I'd be just throw them aside. You know what I'm saying? Some of us got gifts from God we like to open, and some of us have gifts we like to set aside. Some of us have let the world 
influence our disposition towards what's valuable and what's not valuable. <clears throat> but there are things that are actually, when you understand them in the biblical and broader context of life, they're some of the most massive things that you can have as a believer. The first thing is hope. Now, I know in our woke culture now to talk about hope, I don't want hope. You know, Dick Gregory talked about, you know, putting, uh, you know, uh, uh, hope on blast. You know, Umar Johnson put hope on blast. There's some activists in New York and others that put hope on blast. And now you as a Christian are so influenced by culture versus Christianity. What begins to happen is you begin to look at hope as something empty. But hope is only hopeless if it's not, doesn't have the proper object. We don't hope into space that something would happen out of nothing. Oh my God. We're hoping in an everlasting God. We're hoping in the one, we're hoping in the one that's been given to us before we have existed. My Bible says that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. In other words, God was scrolling through your Instagram account before you ever existed. For, put, willing to put his love on. He was, he was your Facebook stalker before there was ever a Facebook. <clears throat> God loves you enough. He's so generous to you and the hope that we should put in him that even before we existed, God didn't just bring us into existence in the tohu vuvohu of space, the formless and voidness of space. God, listen, so powerful, loved us enough to bring the earth together, make it spin on its axis, made water come, made land come, made celestial spheres in the atmosphere just to look at. You're never going to visit those. He just did that as some art. Oh, my God. I'm by myself. I wish I had. Anyway, he gave you sun and the moon. He gave you cattle. He, uh, he, he gave you produce. And then he brought you into existence. He, 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 in other words, God is God too generous to you. And so that's the God I hope in is the God that can actually do something about what I'm hoping in him for. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> but hope is one of your greatest gifts because hope helps you when there's no hope around you. See, when it's dark, that's, let me tell you how generous God was. When you've been in a dark hour where everything is telling you no, where everything is hurting you, when you feel pushed down by everything and you feel suicidal and the pills are in the cabinet and the razors are on the sink. In the midst of that darkness, hope in God gives you perspective that transcends your situation even though the imminence of what you're dealing with is a broken reality. <clears throat> hope is risk. This, this is what hope does. Hope causes God to lasso you out of where you are, to pull you out of it, or give you hope while you yet inside of that thing. That's rich. <laughs> Another thing is prayer. Don't sleep on prayer. It's a gift. It's a gift. He's being generous. Prayer is a gift. You mean I can have nothing. Talk to the one that has everything and he do something about it. And if I keep doing it and it's in his will and I just keep going, I, 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 I get closer to him who created everything. And he'll make changes. Now, now I know you, don't cuss at me when I say this. He was generous when he gave you the church. 
God is generous. God, God gave you other people. Other people. The first thing that he said to Adam, one of the things he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Just like that, he said, he's not good for you to be alone. So he gave us the church. I can talk about so many things that God has flagrantly and generously given to us in granting us everything. But, 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 but anyway, I got to move. I got to move. Uh, last point, and I'm out your way. <coughs> Recognizing the generosity of God, number two. God's generous love causes multi-layered harvests in our lives. God's generous love causes multi-layered. Somebody say multi-layered. You know, I learned a new word today. Multi-layered. I like that word because that's the only way I could come up with the, the multifaceted vicissitudes of his glorious beauty that is absolutely out of my mind. To, to I couldn't use the right hypocatastasis. I couldn't use the right uh, metaphor or similes. I couldn't use the right metonymies to just come up with a way to talk about how massive the glorious essence of uh, uh, the upper echelons of the eternality of his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. I, I was trying to get a vocabulary together to talk about his... His goodness. I'm trying. I'm trying. But it says, based on everything we just said in them two verses. <laughs> Listen to what it says. It says, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? <clears throat> Why does it say that? Now, before you shout, understand that accusations means legitimate charges. Okay. <laughs> Let me see if I can make this plain. See, the devil lies to you, but he doesn't lie to God. The accusations that he brings against you are legit. He, listen, he has a good case against every one of us. He remember when you was jumping out that window. He remember when you were smoking that weed. He remember when you were cheating on that test. He, everything you did, he has detailed forensics on your life. So in other words, when the devil goes to court, listen, he's like the FBI. Listen, it's known in the hood. If the feds come get you, it's over. It's 98%, 98% is over. You understand? Feds come, you might as well say, all right, you know, my mama, you know, I'm gone, you know, it's over. Right? But listen to what the text says. The text says, who can bring an accusation against us? Daring, listen, the text is daring someone to bring legitimate charges against us. Who does that? You trying to tell the witnesses, oh, yo, chill, yo. I'll slide you a few little somethings. You know, nah. The text dares. God dares anyone to bring things that you actually did before him. Because he's both judge and jury. And look at what the text says. It says God is the one who justifies. So in the midst of actual evidence against you, God not only pardons your sin. See, he not only pardons it, he makes you innocent of the charges. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. 
Listen, God takes legitimate charges that are against you. Jesus Christ comes, dies for you, gets up from the grave. His blood covers your sin. Those legitimate charges that still exist can't find its way forensically back to you because God has legitimately called Jesus to die and clean you up so that there are no forensics. Hold on, let me see if I can make this plain. When the demons go on the forensic scene to get blood evidence, they get your DNA, all of that. By the time you get to court with God after knowing Jesus, they do a blood test. Somebody going to get it in a second. And then they, they go and the forensics do all of their work to see if they can match the blood that's in you with the blood that was at the scene. And somebody said, I don't know what happened, but yesterday, the blood matched. But today, there's no evidence that the person that was at the scene is the same person because their blood is different now. The charges against you have been dropped. And so the text begins to celebrate that reality of the fact that the charges have been dropped. He says, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. It said he also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. And he said, who can separate us from the love of God? He said, can affliction, can distress, can persecution, can famine, nakedness, danger, or sword because of you, God. We are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him. Who loved us? <laughs> Woo! How generous has he been to you? How good has he been to you? How loving has he been to you? How committed has he been to you? How caring has he been to you? How much of a provider has he been for you? How much of a lifter of your head has he been? How many times has he brought you out? How many times has he made a way for you? How many times has he looked out? God's giving to you is for his glory. 
and even in it being for his glory. He gave it to you. His giving was you focused because it came to you. So how much more should our giving be him focused? The next time you give, the next time you give, my prayer is, is that you remember this text. <laughs> that you'd remember how generous he's been to you. One of the things I love about God is he doesn't try to find a way not to be generous. He, he tries to find a way to show you and to display his generosity towards you. I like the way Amy Carmichael says it. She says, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. I love that. <laughs> the Bible says God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father God, we thank you for your giving. Thank you for being <laughs> the greatest giver in the universe. The old church used to say you can't beat God giving. <laughs> and that same is true today. God wants to be generous to someone here. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.